Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. Right now, you're about to listen to a message from our current series. Thanks for tuning in today. Open your Bibles to Mark 4. Mark the fourth chapter. And uh, I'm going to read verse uh, 1 through 3, and then we will begin. Verse 1. And Jesus began again to teach by the seaside. That simply means he's been there before. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude. Uh, how great? Well, could have been. A mul- at one point, a multitude was five to 15,000. A great multitude is probably 50,000 people there. I mean, the nation of Israel was being shaken by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, plural. Means there are more than one. But this is the first that we are going to read tonight. Or today. And he said unto them in his doctrine, behold, a uh, hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. So two weeks ago, we started a series on, on the parable of the sower. And it all has to do with the condition of one's heart. You know, there's a book, uh, there's a scripture. I, I don't have it on the screen for you, but I'll just quickly uh, uh, throw it at you. It's in Jeremiah. Um, I think it's, yeah, Jeremiah 17, if you want to go with me there and find it. And um, Jeremiah 17, in uh, verse um, 9, here's what it says. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things, watch this, and desperately wicked, and who can know it? Go on. I, the Lord, search the heart, and I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Now, we know that once a man is born again, he no longer has a deceitful heart. Can I have an amen? Though you can allow deceit in your heart, you have, the Bible says you have a new heart. We covered that last week. I humbly ask every one of you who are not here that you go online and listen to last week's message because it really, really, we addressed the stony heart. Uh, excuse me, the hard heart. Really got into some good things uh, that are really going to help you to connect you with today's series. Now, what is a parable? A parable is simply, it's a natural story used to teach a spiritual truth. Isn't that neat that God would come down to our level and use his creation to, uh, to teach us about the spiritual side of life? That's what a parable is. We discovered last week that the kingdom of God operates on the principle of sowing or the laws of sowing and reaping. We found that out in ver- uh, verse 13. It confer- confirms it here. He says, if you, he says, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the parables? So every parable is linked to the law of seed time and harvest. Every parable. If you read it, it be reminded of the laws of seed time and harvest. <laughs> to the kingdom of God, uh, though the kingdom of God uh, it, uh, it is advanced and it's pushed forward through this law called seed time and harvest. And Jesus confirms it in verse 26. We read this last week. I'm just going to go quick and read this. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. And we know Jesus said after this, he doesn't have to worry because once the seed is in the ground, the ground will do what it was created to do and anoint that seed so that seed germinates, hallelujah, and grows and becomes a supernatural return back into your life, some 3,600 fold. Is that good news? That's good news if you're planting good seed, bad news if you're planting bad seed. 
But it is the law. You cannot, uh, you cannot uh, stop the law from working. It works whether you believe it or not. You put, you put seed in the ground, it'll grow. I said, you put seed in the ground, it'll grow. Amen. But there's so many things that, uh, that we'll see here as we go on. And then verse 14, of course, tells us what kind of seed was sown. Verse 14, uh, the King James says, the sower soweth the word. The New Living Translation says, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. Amen. Do you remember what Paul said about that in Corinthians? He said, now, and I, I don't want any of you to ever get discouraged when you witness to somebody and nothing happens. Because here's what God said. Some sow, some water, but God gives the increase. Amen. And that's what you have to trust him with. Your not responsibility is not to get people saved. It isn't. Once, I mean, if the fruit is ripe, the door will be open. You can lead them to the Lord. But, but your, your part is to sow the seed of love, truth in people's hearts. And other people will come along and water that seed or affirm or confirm that word that was shared. And ultimately, God will give the increase. And we give you and we give God praise. Listen, when I got saved, I did not find God. God found, God found me. Hallelujah. Amen. He found me. He found me. Praise God. And um, and I'm grateful for that. So uh, the seed of God's word fell on four different environments. Hard ground, stony ground, thorny ground and good ground. And again, Jesus is using a natural story to teach a spiritual truth, which in this story, he is referencing the ground of uh, uh, the, the soil or the ground of a man's spirit. OK, that's this is all talking about the real estate of your heart. Your spirit is the soil in which the seed of God's word is sown. And when it comes to fruition, listen, its purpose is that its purpose for coming to fruition in your life is to bear the image and the likeness of God in you and through you. How many want people to see God in your life? Yeah, amen. You want to see God in your life. And that is the purpose of his word is to create the image and likeness of God. Last uh, Sunday, we covered the hard ground and how to avoid getting a hard heart as a Christian. Please listen to that. In my side reference, it calls these hearers indifferent. Indifference simply means they have no particular interest in what you're saying. A hard heart will sit in church and listen to the Bible and not take it for themselves. They'll say, I have no interest in this. That doesn't line up with my life or lifestyle. Isn't that interesting? In the Bible, it talks about uh, the word, when, when the word of God is preached. Uh, one is for uh, encouragement, but two parts of it are for rebuke and correction. So it's very important that, you know, praise God, the word will inspire us. But aren't you glad the word corrects us, convicts us and corrects our lives so that we can walk in the straight and know that God's called us to. Every time the word of God is preached, you have to stop and consider what the spirit of God is saying to you personally. Because if you cast it aside as irrelevant, meaning it's not for me, at that very moment, you're going to miss God's instruction, his correction and his direction. Very important. Say, say this out loud. God speak to me today. God speak to me today. Amen. And he will. He will literally reveal to you the things that you need for your life. Because you don't know what the week's going to bring. But God does. And he wants you to be prepared for every, everything. Verse 16. Now. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. Who when they have heard the word. Every one of them heard. Immediately they receive it with gladness. Uh, the Bible calls them emotional hearers. Amen. And it's good to be excited about God. It's good to be emotional. But emotion will, emotion will not bring stability to your life when warfare is going on. E emotion won't. You've got to have... Uh, they can talk about this this morning. Listen, kids. 
I, I just, I, I'm not, just, just take it for what it's worth. If you will come just a few minutes early and you will join Pastor Vicky for prayer downstairs, it is so Holy Ghost, as Randy shared. It really is. God will minister to you. I'm telling you, he will prepare you for the service so that God can get to you what he wants to. Amen. I think sometimes, you know, the reason sometimes we don't get what we need is because we're so selfish. It, 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 we just come for us. But if you'll come and you'll stand in the gap for others as we pray in the spirit and, and pray together in a spirit of love and unity. Praise God. God will prepare your heart and, and you'll have greater insight than you have ever had before. Amen. That's important how, how important prayer is. We call it the first service because it is. It's from 855 to 930. 35 minutes of, of power packed prayer that will inspire you and prepare you for the service. Amen. Let's go on. It says... They have no, those that have a stony heart. The Bible says they hear the word and receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves, no root in themselves. And so they endure, but for a time afterward, afterward, when persecution, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, the Bible says immediately they are offended. The word affliction, when, not if, when the Bible says affliction, that means pressure, anguish and trouble. When affliction and persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Listen to me. First of all, you have to understand this. Warfare in your life as a believer has always been about the word of God in your life. Satan comes to take that which God gives you. Now, you can allow him to do it by having a hard heart. And you can allow him to do it by having a stony heart. We'll talk about that and explain what that means. There's many things I could share today, but I've got one, one direction I'm going. If you desire to advance the kingdom of God within you, you're going to have to accept the warfare around you. You're going to have to accept the fact that it isn't, it's not going to be easy. We just finished the book of Acts. I was so blessed. We're in, by the way, on Wednesday nights, we're in the book of Romans, and it is so exciting. The first chapter we went through last night, last Wednesday night. But in the book of Acts, as you study this, unbelievable character called Paul and what that man went through, what that man suffered, what that man faced. It was unbelievable that anyone would just be so willing to pay whatever price has to be paid to get the gospel to people. He paid it. It's just, it's just, it's just inspiring. Paul would have never made it anywhere without accepting the fact that persecution is going to arise for the word's sake. But it didn't bother him. He said, I'll take it. I'll take it. At one point, they prophesied what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem. He said, I'll take it. Nobody's going to stop me from preaching the word. I'm telling you right now, we have got to get to that place. Well, we, I mean, if I were to ask for a raise of hands, but I won't, and ask how many of you here this morning have ever led one person to the Lord, most of you say never. And we've got to get to a place where we are so overflowing with God's love and so overflowing for the, cares of, uh, for the care of those that are going to hell that the Holy Ghost will move us to share the gospel with people. Can I say amen? Amen. We need to get there. So persecution is a part of your life if you're going to serve God. It just is. Here's what Peter said. He addressed this in his uh, letter. He says, dear friends, this is 1 Peter 4.12. He said, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. As though something strange were happening to you. That's what Paul was talking about. Uh, our friend Paul Jansen, you know, uh, he was examining God. What, what am I? God, obviously, I'm doing something wrong. Obviously, 
Obviously, I got some sin in my life because this is happening. What is going on? God, show it to me, please, so I can repent and get it right. He says, you're not being attacked because you're doing something wrong. He says, you're being attacked because you're doing something right. And I'm not sure what kind of price you want to pay for that. But if you're willing to go all the way with God, he'll prove his glory in your life. Can I have an amen? Pay real well. So, but he says, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. That you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Satan is not going to sit back and just watch the word of God take root in your life. He's not going to do that. He's going to attack your thought life, your word life, and your faith life. He's going to tempt you. Listen, he's going to tempt you to take the bait of doubt, fear, and unbelief and uproot all the things that God has promised you in his word. He's going to attack your life. Raise your hand if you can relate to anything I'm saying today. Okay, so you have to understand that. Please understand that. I know that I'm the same way as you are in my humanness when things go wrong. Not that I, I don't not that I don't do everything right. But in my humanness, when I when, when all this junk's coming against you, you do. You say, God, please show me what I'm doing wrong. Well, maybe you're doing something right. I'll get excited about that. I said, maybe you're doing something right. Hallelujah. And that's why the attack is on. God will bring you through it. Jesus said, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. So I want to talk about this thing called offense this morning. The direction of the Lord told me to go. Now, the word offended in the Greek is the word scandalon. It's where we get the word scandal. Okay. The word scandal means an action. Watch this. An action or event regarded as morally or legally wrong and causing the general public outrage. It's right now going on on the news. This, this is what's going on. There is a scandal like we've never seen before. There is corruption in our government like we've never seen uh, since its birth. And uh, so there's a scandal. Now in the Greek, it's interesting, it's a little different. The Greek word for scandal is to entrap, to trip up, cause to sin. It means a snare. So we could read it this way. When affliction or persecution arises for the word sake, immediately they fall into sin. They become snared and trapped. Hmm. So this morning, just for a moment, I want to share with a story with you to help you understand offense and its deadly fruit. Now, we learned this years ago, and some of you know it already and some of you don't. We're talking about getting offended. In 1997, Jerry Seville came in here uh, into our church. And um, in 1997, wow. And um, his wife had just written a book on offense. And so he, he, all these awesome things have been written lately to help us to avoid this trap in our lives. Because today, I'm just telling you, in your humanness, uh, and I'm the same way, you hate being corrected. Is that right? You hate being corrected. In your humanness, that just comes against your grain. And yet without correction, we'll never grow. We'll never become what we're supposed to become. Yeah, your book was the spirit of offense. And uh, really powerful, powerful writings to help you avoid this trap in your life. Now, in Africa, now this may have happened years ago, may still be happening today. Uh, but in Africa, the African tribes, um, they, they designed something called a scandal trap. It was a trap, a device used to trap monkeys. All right. And... Um, uh, what made the trap successful wasn't discovered, listen, in the brilliance of the designer or the one who made it. 
The discovery was something, uh, this, the discovery was actually found in the nature of the monkey, something that we're all familiar with, and that was, and that, and that in his life was called stubbornness. Stubbornness. Now, I know none of you are stubborn. We already got that taken care of. But no, stubbornness, stubbornness, see, is in the very DNA of your Adamic nature. Stubbornness. Stubborn. Very interesting. I'll give you a definition of it in a moment. The scandal trap, listen, was a small wire cage with a very small round hole in the one end of it. The cage of the cage was only so, you know, probably a foot by foot by foot. Just very small wire cage. Had a hole in it about the size of uh, two inches. Just enough for a monkey to squeeze his hand through. And they would secure that, they'd secure that little cage to the ground. And they would hang a banana inside that cage. And of course, monkeys, I mean, it's interesting that they're, they're very curious. And, 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 um, and so instead of just simply taking a banana off a tree, they'll squeeze their hand through that cage to try to get that banana. And when they latch onto that banana, they're, they're, listen, their fist swells and they, and they can't get their hand back out. And they are so stubborn. They, they're so stubborn that when it comes to even death, they would rather hold on to the banana than to let it go and run for its life. And so the tribesman just walks up, bangs them on the head and has monkey soup for supper. Amen. I mean, that's really a true story. It's called a scandal on it. It's, it's a trap. Okay. James 1 verse 13 says this. Let no one, oh, oh, before I read it. So, of course, he's got to use the right, right bait. And the right bait was a banana. Now, now when I read that, or I thought about James 1. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted from God. For God is incapable of being tempted by what is evil. And he himself tempts no one. But every person is tempted when he's drawn away. Look at, and tithed, look at, and baited. Drawn away, tithed, and embaited. Uh, abated by his own evil desire, lust, and passions. Then the evil desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully matured, brings forth death. So don't be misled, brethren and sisters. I'm sisters. <laughs> don't be misled. He's telling you that Satan uses the bait. He knows exactly what to bait you with. He's been practicing it, you know, for 4,000 years. Amen. So he knows what to do. So, once the um, African man, once he sticks that hand, uh, get, monkey sticks a hand, he knows he's got him because he refuses to let go of what he thinks is going to bring him pleasure, but it's going to destroy his life. The word stubborn means having or showing a dogged determination not to change one's attitude or position on something. I like the synonyms. Obstinate. Headstrong, pig-headed. How many have heard that one? <laughs> Strong-willed and unbending. Jesus was saying one of the things that makes for a stony ground is stubbornness stemming from offense. Proverbs 29, 1 says this. For people who hate discipline and only get more stubborn, there will come a day when life tumbles and they'll break and by then it will be too late to help them. Amen. Stubbornness. Every one of us have to deal with it. King Saul, I want to use him as an example this morning. Stubbornness. King Saul, you know the Bible, uh, some of you don't know, King Saul was the first king that God chose for Israel. And uh, uh, he was the first king that was God anointed him. Listen, not, not just to be a king, but to be the spiritual leader of Israel. 
But when the test came to choosing God's will above his own, he yielded to stubbornness over obedience. And first, first Samuel 15, 23 says this, God speaking to him through the prophet Samuel. For rebellion is as bad as the sin of witchcraft. What is witchcraft? It's simply carrying out the plans and purposes of the devil. I mean, every one of you, you've heard, you've heard the saying, or maybe you've caught it, man, the guy acted like the devil. Operating witchcraft. See, sometimes we don't think we're doing that and we're doing it because we're stubborn and we won't bend to God's will. We want our own will. We want our own right. And stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. And now because you, Saul, have rejected or rebelled against the word of Jehovah, he has rejected you from being king. Saul, because of stubbornness, was stripped of his spiritual authority. Lost it. Completely became demon-possessed. If you study the Bible, though, God in his great mercy touched his heart and he corrected his course before he died. But it didn't have to be that way. Do you know what stubbornness in the life of the believer is? It's when we choose to exalt our own will above God's will. And though we may not realize it, at that point... You place yourself on the throne of your life and ultimately you uproot you of the spiritual authority and the divine destiny God has for you if you don't correct it. How funny as I'm studying, this phrase came to me. Hadn't thought of it in many, many years. How many have heard the phrase monkey see, monkey do? We're talking about a monkey. Monkey see, monkey do. So I Googled it. Don't you love Google? I do. Now, not everything is true on it, but it's interesting some of the things you get. Here's what it said about monkey see, monkey do. Monkey see, monkey do was a saying that first appeared in American culture in the early 20s. This saying refers to the learning of a process without an understanding of why it works. Another definition implies the act of mimicry, usually with limited knowledge and or concern for the consequences. When I thought about that, I'll tell you, some of you heard this story about this guy in the neighborhood. He had a beautiful home, he had a lot of expensive stuff in his home, and, uh, and a thief heard about it. So in the middle of the night, this thief breaks a window out, sinks into the house, and as he adjusts his eyes to the darkness, all of a sudden he sees a china cupboard, and he sees all this beautiful expensive stuff in there, and he heads toward the, towards the china cabinet. And as he heads, takes a step, he hears in the dark, a voice cries out, Jesus is watching you. And he stopped, and his heart began to palpate, and he just really get nervous, and he's trying to look around, he didn't see anything. So he takes a little bit, a few more steps, all of a sudden, Jesus is watching you. And he looks, and oh, it was a parrot in a cage, and oh, like that. Oh, so he walked a little bit closer and, and all of a sudden he's standing face to face with a Rottweiler. <laughs> and that cry of that voice came up. Jesus is watching you. And the guy said, shut up. Can't you say anything else? Sick him, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jesus was watching him. A great name for Rottweiler. Hallelujah. The name above every name. <laughs> Amen. Again, the definition implies the act of mimicry, usually with limited knowledge or concern for the consequences. Monkey see, monkey do. And guess who is mimicking 
Listen, our offenses and our rebellion and our stubbornness, it's our little monkeys. Our precious little children whose hearts are fertile for whatever we sow into them. What's even sad, listen, about we're talking about our children. What's sad is when we use our children to hide behind the to hide behind to excuse ourselves from doing what God's word requires. That's the saddest thing that we uh, ought not to be doing that. If we really understood that every word we speak and every action that we take is seed being sown into the virgin soils of those that are observing, especially our children, we would be very careful how we act and how we speak around them. If you agree, say amen. We're going to close here with Matthew 18. Matthew, the 18th chapter. This is going to bring this all together to where God wanted me to go this morning. There's so much more to say about these things. But Matthew 18, I'm going to read the Amplified. Matthew 18, verse 1. It says this. At that time, the disciples came and they asked Jesus. Now, this was a very serious question because every one of them believed that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government because they had been faithful to him for three and a half years. They're, they're considering who's the greatest among them. I mean, that, you know, they were, they were serious when they asked that question. I'm sure Jesus just shook his head. He said, you not heads. I've been with, you've been with me all this time and you still got a problem with pride. Listen to this. They asked Jesus, who then is really the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So Jesus called a little child to himself and put him in the midst of them. And he said, truly, I say to you, unless you repent, change, turn about and become like little children. Trusting, lowly, loving and forgiving. You can never enter the kingdom of heaven at all. Whoever will humble himself. Listen, no one's going to do it for you. No one's going to do it for you. You've got to humble yourself. He says, whoever will humble himself, therefore, and become like this little child, trusting, lowly, loving, and forgiving, is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, we've taught on this. Four divine virtues in every child. No matter what culture, no matter what religion... God has put this in the spiritual DNA of every child. Trust, humility, love, and forgiveness. Verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe, who believe in and acknowledge and cleave to me, to stumble and sin, that is who entices him or hinders him in right conduct or thought, it will be better, more expedient, and profitable or advantageous for him to be have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be sunk into the sea. He, Jesus was saying it would be better if he was never in his life. Very serious. Woe. The word woe means grief. Woe to the world for such temptations to sin and influences to do wrong. It is necessary, Jesus said, that temptations come. But woe. Grief to the person on whose account or by whom the temptation comes. So God is going to hold every one of us parents accountable for these divine virtues. Whether we tore them down Oh, we built them up will be determined by how disciplined we are when it comes to God's word and walking within its boundaries. Now, before I read on, do you remember what a parable is? It's God using a natural story to teach a spiritual truth. So let's look at this. This is good. Verse eight. And if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble... And sin, cut it off and throw it away from you. It is better or more profitable and welcome, wholesome for you to enter life maimed or lame than to have two hands or two feet. That's referring to your children. 
than to have two hands and two feet that have been studying your life end up in hell. Pretty serious. And if you're, yeah, it says that. You're, it says two hands and two feet and be thrown into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble and sin, pluck it out and throw it away from you. It is better, more pro, a profitable and wholesome for you to enter life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the hell of fire. I'm telling you, man. He's talking about, remember, if you study the Bible in context, you'll never get off. The whole emphasis of this story is... The trust, the humility, humility, the love, and the forgiveness that God has that's so beautifully laid into the spiritual DNA of your child. He said, if there are things, listen, here, here's what he's saying. If you're focused on things, if you're focused on things, they're not right. If you're reaching out, embracing things that are not right in your life, and you're allowing your feet to run towards things that are not right, he says, cut them out of your life. It's way better for you to think that you lost something when you're actually preserving something, and that's your family. That's your family. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. If you want to see your children grow up and serve God the days of your life, men and women, you're going to have to take the lead spiritually. And if they're already grown and they're not serving God, pray for them daily. Because if God can save a mess like you, he can bring your children back into the fold. Can I have an amen? I mean that. But I know every one of us carries certain levels of guilt and certain levels of regret, certain levels of remorse for failed situations in our lives. There's nothing we can do about it. You can't go back there. You can't go backwards. You got to go forwards. So you go forward by submitting yourself to God, yielding to him and stop being rebellious and stop being stubborn. Can I have an amen? amen. When we choose to be stubborn. When we choose stubbornness over, over subservience, no one wins. Not, not you or your family. And I'll close with Ephesians. Take it three minutes to read this. Ephesians 3, because this is all tying it together. Watch this, guys. When I think of the wisdom and scope of this plan, I fall down on my knees and pray to the Father of the great family of God, some of them already in heaven and some down here on earth, that out of his glorious unlimited resources, somebody shout hallelujah, his resources are unlimited, he will give you the mighty inner strengthening of his Holy Spirit. Vicki and I were talking about this. She talked about a prayer this morning. There, I mean, we just so enjoyed our time with Paul and Sherry because they talked a lot about what the Spirit of God was saying to them in this process, this journey they've been going through. The Spirit of God's been talking to them, sharing with them, investing in them, encouraging them, giving them direction. If there was ever a time when every one of you and I, we all got to hear what the saying to the churches today. Because surely, I wish I could take just a, a couple of weeks and share on the, on the uh, seven letters that John wrote to the seven churches in Revelation. And how that all of those deep things that they, or there were five of the churches that were really in trouble with God, two weren't. But out of those 
five churches, those those things that they 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 one of them was the church of Ephesus. They lost their first love. They were doing all they were coming to church like us. They were coming to church and worshiping God, but they their heart had been disconnected from God. Going through the actions, but lost their spiritual connection with God. Man, when I think about that, I, it just it makes me just stop and really, really examine my heart. God, am I disconnected from you? Am I walking with you like I need to be, like I should be? Let's finish this. I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. Here is it. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long and how wide, how deep and how high his love is really is. And to experience this love for yourselves. So it's so great that you will never see the end of it or fully know or understand it. And so at last you'll be filled with God himself. I don't want to be filled with God. Now glory be to God who is mighty, uh, whose mighty power is at work within us. He's able to do far more than we could ever dare ask or think or even dream of. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, and hopes. That's God's promise to you. I mean, it's always been this way. Always been this way. Always. Love is the foundation of Christianity. Somebody asked me one day, uh, how would you define Christianity? Uh, two words, uh, three words of you. Love and forgiveness. That's Christianity. Love and forgiveness. That's it. And if we will exercise that spiritual law of love, the spiritual law of faith will work. And we'll tap into the unlimited resources of God's presence and provision. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning services at 10 o'clock. We also have what we call School of the Bible on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.